0: a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back of the day: Every little thing's gonna be a OK. A OK. Hey, everyone! New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos and interviews and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. Not only is he a beloved Emmy and Golden Globe nominated actor, he's also an incredibly accomplished singer and songwriter and has a band with his dear friend, Carlos Calvo. Welcome, Rob Morrow, to the podcast. Hey everyone, my guest today is the multi-Emmy and Golden Globe nominated actor, writer and director Rob Morrow. Rob has had a career in film, television, and theater spanning over three decades. He began in New York City as one of the founding members of the infamous theater company Naked Angels, but he shot to stardom with his portrayal of New York doctor gone to Alaska Joel Fleischman on the hit television series Northern Exposure. Then he went on to star in another hit series, Numbers. Rob's film credits include... Quiz Show, Mother, Last Dance, and Into My Heart. He wrote, directed, and starred in the film Maze. He is currently on Designated Survivor and recently played defense attorney Barry Sheck on the miniseries The People vs. O.J. Simpson. He's also appearing on the show Billions. He is an accomplished musician and songwriter and has a band which features his musical collaborator Carlos Calvo. He's married to the lovely Debonair, and they have a daughter, and I'm really thrilled to welcome my dear friend, Rob Morrow, to the
1: podcast. Thanks, Alana. So sweet.
0: It is so nice to have you
1: here. How long have we known each other? Like...
0: Three decades.
1: At least. Maybe. Uh, maybe more.
0: I know. It's been really kind of heady for me to think about it when I started Googling you, which I mean I've been doing all the time. I'm and Charlotte then it, hope. <laughs> just had an actual excuse to do it. I
1: appreciate it.
0: I was saying to Dominic, I'm so proud of you. Hmm, I'm thanks. so proud of the integrity with which you've been able to have a career that feels to me like almost only good things or I don't know about the bad things. There's
1: plenty of bad things, but but for the most part, yeah, it's been I've been blessed with with uh, a lot of good things and uh, and still more to come you know you you have to stay viable so there's moments where i've taken terrible jobs for money like or, this
0: podcast like coming in here today
1: well, for I the smart get, water well, they were supposed to pay me pay me before by the way oh, it's that's like when we go out with with the band they pay us before we go on so i don't know So it's
0: not a cut of the door like they get you first
1: exactly so i should, Fancy. Uh, I feel so grateful because uh i have to create it's like what i do it's like for whatever reason now i'm all jaded on 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 Showbiz and creativity. I'm reading a book by Kurt Anderson called Fantasyland. It's pretty great. And I just saw Bruce Springsteen's last night on Broadway, Um, both of which kind of take you through the history of the innate central character of America, which is fantasy back from day one, it's all based on fantasy. Everything is a fantasy. Everything is part of the quote fantasy industrial complex. And, uh, so I feel a little like, uh, well, as Bruce opens his show, he basically says, look, I'm a huckster. You know, there's no way around it. You know, i am got integrity. I got, I got discipline. I got musicianship, but I'm ultimately a huckster. <laughs> and I think, okay, well, I guess that's what I am. But you know, what? it's funny. We, we, when you when you like when we were with Naked Angels, you know, and, and we had this uh integrity that we had built into our fabric, it you think it's it's something more, you know. So now I'm 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 humbled maybe in a good way. <laughs>
0: We should have been like the huckster angels.
1: We should have just known. Although we had a good huckster sense. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think I think it was a really nice balance of integrity and hucksterness, which is why it lived that was the original so well.
1: Name of the company, but we thought it was too hard to cut. Yeah. flow off the tongue.
0: No, uh, would Allen Ginsberg say huckster? No, no. So, well, let's talk about that
1: because it has a K. It has a soft beginning and a K in it. So Neil Simon Neil likes Simon the, the K. Would say it.
0: You grew up in.
1: In mainly Westchester. So I was born in New Rochelle and then I was in White Plains and Scarsdale. Then I moved to I went to prep school in New Hampshire for a few years and then lived with my dad in Florida before coming to New York.
0: I remember being, I think, at a roast of some kind, and I believe Fisher Stevens was roasting Matt Dillon. And at some point, I believe he said, the mean, mean streets of Westchester, <laughs> where where Matt Dillon grew up. And and it was really, you know, where he got the edge that he you know brought to terrible? his early work.
1: Last night, I ate at the Palm down mm, the street, delish. coincidentally. Yeah. And I happened to be sitting under Matt's caricature which they had him with blue eyes right matt doesn't have blue eyes so he looked kind of like rob lowe and then right here was george clooney with blue eyes i thought how odd neither of these guys have blue eyes and yet this is the main thing about the palm they have these caricatures of people but why would they get that wrong how do you get that wrong how do you get matt dylan and george clooney wrong What's going on I don't
0: know, but I'll tell you this. God did not get Matt Dillon wrong, so it's okay. You're right. Maybe the caricature is dead. You know what? Their eyes are wrong. Let them have one wrong thing. I'm really fascinated by sort of going back to the beginning Mm. and where this urge to create and tell stories comes from. Did you grow up in a family that was um, passionate about art and culture? Was this something that you came to on your own?
1: I think they were passionate in a, in a kind of a, a pop middle class suburban sense. Sense, yeah. Uh, you know, my my parents went to Broadway shows, so there were Broadway albums around. That was my first kind of exposure, I think. Uh, you know, in fourth grade, we were doing uh, – kind of faking our way through versions of West Side Story, you know, at school with, with uh, ice cream sticks as knives and, um, and by – The
0: mean, mean streets of Westchester. Exactly.
1: And then <laughs> by – and then we would run around in uh, velour uh, shirts with ski pants and we would be from Lost in Space, you know, because they wore these great velour shirts with zippers and, uh, and boots and ski pants because they had this – Sleek look. And uh, I couldn't play the – I guess I was – I started playing drums very early. So uh, I think by like third grade, a friend of mine in elementary school got some instruments and somehow got out of class and started going to every class performing, saying that we were given permission. And we got through three or four classes before they kind of figured it out. So – so there was all kinds of writing, huckster. Oh, total huckster. <laughs> there was all kinds of writing on the wall, but nothing uh, co- co- cogent until uh, uh, until I was fifteen.
0: And then what happened?
1: Then I had this epiphany watching the movie Grease, and I I, I don't uh,
0: think I've ever heard that sentence before, it's so and crazy. I'll never hear it again. <laughs> yes,
1: um, you're in a movie it, theater. In a movie theater, fifteen, watching the movie, and it something just went. I don't know if it was. I think it was I'm going to that's or or I can do that or I can do a version of that and I just remember the thing that I do remember was how much fun it looked like John Travolta was having Um, and I walked out of the movie theater and I said to my friend oh you know I'm going to be an actor like as if I had always planned it and he was like I did not know then I was like oh yeah and that was it then I was like it saved my life because I was headed for bad bad ways. Um, Why? I was just a bad kid, you know, I was in trouble all the time, uh, shoplifting and uh, getting kicked out of class and um, not cutting school. I mean, I just was, I just had no focus or discipline. I had some kind of learning disabilities, but it it, it just uh, spiraled. And then when my parents got divorced, my mother couldn't control me. So I was just, you know, I was just headed for, for a bad way. And when I moved down to Florida to live with my dad, I was kind of running with some really borderline scary types and uh, but that it all changed because once I had some purpose then I was focused
0: so how did you begin I went when you got out of sing sing talk about
1: huckstring yeah so I went into 11th grade and I had uh, gotten into drama in the drama class and in and, and quickly started getting the good parts you know Tevia on in feather on the roof was one of my first main productions and uh, and I was a pretty good Tevya at 15 I have to say and I, I hope to do it on Broadway someday or on the road or something but um uh, at one point I I, I I cut school for six weeks to be an extra in the movie Shack. I'm all over that movie. I'm a fat little me everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you, I'm not kidding. You look at that movie, you'll see me. I'm okay. there in the background. Okay. Every scene with a caddy. And, I, and because I actually had caddied a little as a kid, I had jobs and stuff.
0: In Westchester, before in you West moved to Chester, Florida. Yeah.
1: yeah. I knew what I was doing, so they loved me. Um, so yeah, th- I was does your like family
0: not know?
1: Well, you know, I was a little bit of a – so my grandparents lived in Fort Lauderdale. I was living with my dad. I got in a fight with him and I said I'm running away and I went to live with my grandparents in Florida and so that I could be in this movie for six weeks. Um, they didn't know I wasn't going to school. You know, I was like, okay, see. Right. <laughs> and uh, But at that school, this is the funny thing. I went into the school, you know, so at that point now I'm reading every showbiz, Teen Beat or whatever those magazines are. Yeah. And I'm getting familiar with who the players are, you know, who the young would have been the kids from 8 is Enough and and Scott Baio and that whole gang. And uh, I go into this new school, which I'm there for only about two months, and I told them that I was a professional actor and that I had been, you know, acting out with – I don't know what names I dropped but you know these guys and they were like Christy
0: McNichol and, and I ch- just did an exactly, after totally special and yeah.
1: they were like they believed me you know because I was a good enough actor to convince them and so they, uh, they were doing a play um, something like Where's Charlie or one of those old plays and and uh they asked me to be they 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 were <laughs> they were they asked me to play the cop which was a smallish part but they were so deferential when they asked they were like we know this is probably way below what you're used to and i took the job and and played the cop and and i remember getting a card signed from all of them when you get back to hollywood you know and uh, i felt vaguely guilty about the lie i have. yeah but that. this is
0: your chance to thank them
1: yes all right well thank you i, I don't even remember the name of the school it was so so I took it so I go to my dad, I'm gonna take this GED. He didn't know what that meant. And he says, What is that? I said, Well, if it, if I pass, I graduate. And I was such a desire- I don't really think I passed a test from the seventh grade on. So I take this he signs the thing, I take the test in like September of my senior year, and by October I get the letter saying you grad- you can you're done. And I go, I'm done, and I'm going to New York. And that was pretty much it. I came up here. I went I went to Plymouth State College for a minute because my sister was there, which is part of the University of New Hampshire. I was there about a month, and then I said, fuck it, and I came to the city be, uh, a little before I was 18.
0: And where you get off the plane or the bus or... Uh,
1: well, so my mom had a boyfriend at the time who had a place in New York, and he was living with her a lot, so I got to use his place for a couple months um, before I got on my feet. And... Uh, I got a job working in the, the Cinema 5 movie chain, which pretty much were the only big movie theaters in New York. They had them on 57th. They had one on 3rd Avenue. They had one uh, in Times Square. You know, they just – they were they were the game. And uh, I got a job as a usher, um, usher do, a ticket taker um, with, where I met Toby. Toby Parker, Toby Parker. Toby Parker. Who
0: is uh, the brother of Sarah Jessica Parker. And Pippin Parker, and is an extraordinary actor, and also
1: Aaron, who was just my driver yesterday. He's on. He's a Teamster, so he's on. He's the on. The Parkers Billings. are everywhere. It's crazy. Who has a son now? I was like, I'm. Mean, they have. I said, they're. They must have so many. Their reunions must be insane.
0: Their reunions are union.
1: There you are. <laughs> they, right. <laughs> the Teamster. Yes, they have the whole. Their <laughs> own the I'll drive you to the park. I think their dad was a uh, their stepdad. Paul uh, Aaron's. Andrew's dad was a was – a, um,
0: So you was, meet Toby because he's also taking tickets at the movie theater?
1: Exactly. Toby had been a child actor but was having a, a, a transition to try to get into old adultish parts and was um, – so was making some cash. And we became fast friends. I was so excited because he was actually – had been a working actor. You know, he could actually – you know, had an equity card or whatever. And, I think uh, he was
0: in Runaways, right? Wasn't he was in, in Runaways yeah.
1: with Liz Suedos and um, – there was one other Broadway show I feel like. Um, Sarah, I'm not sure if she had done Annie at that point or was probably right, right around there doing Annie. Um, and she was a big star, pretty much, at least a Broadway star. And uh, Toby was doing an off-off-Broadway uh, play called Star Mites, which was a musical. And he was like, you should come down and hang out. And I became the... Uh, the assistant stage manager slash understudy. And uh, and I got to kind of perform sometimes in rehearsals, which just gave me a kind of a beginning of confidence. And there I met Fisher. Fisher Stevens was in that uh, show. Who,
0: if you go to YouTube and put in Rob Morrow's name, one of the things that you'll find, he is married to Debonair, but, but another love story in his life has been with Fisher Stevens, who's a remarkable actor, Producer, storyteller. Six He's sort of bigger degrees. than life. Six
1: Degrees of Fisher Stevens.
0: Right. Um, if you don't know who Fisher Stevens is, you should probably stop listening.
1: Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you, you feel really. Yeah. You do your research <laughs> and come back to it.
0: But so you met Fisher there.
1: And Fisher and I just became the best of friends. And What Fisher did for – Fisher had an immense amount of confidence. I mean he was 16. I was 17. He was dating a 27-year-old model um, and he believed. He he gave me the sense of, oh, wow, we can do this. And he started to get – he had already done one movie, The Burning, which he handed out (laughs) – it was coming out around the time. It was a horror movie, but a lot of great actors were in it: Holly Hunter and Jason Alexander. And and uh, he he would hand out these books of matches, black uh, shiny matches that had a that would that were in red, bold red letters was the burning, and then you'd open it, and it was a picture of Fisher, and it would say, catch me while I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) So he knew.
0: He knew about branding really early on.
1: But he – I cannot – I would not be sitting here if it were not for what I garnered from his uh, confidence and and belief that it's possible that these kids from suburbs or wherever could come to a city and make – and find their way into this business. Um, So I'm uh, incredibly grateful for that and uh, we've been friends ever since.
0: And so Naked Angels, the theater company, was founded by a bunch of people, some of whom were friends, And some of whom were friends because they had gone to NYU together. Right. Did you go to NYU? I did not. I came in because Michael Greif cast me in um, Mackinac, Ah, that Jody Markell, who had gone to Northwestern, I guess, with Michael Greif, had brought to the company. And so I came in through a side door, but some of the people at the time who were, who...
1: And I loved you right away. I remember you just have such a lovely persona that instantly I knew you. And here I I am 30 years later, so I was right. You were right. Only I people bet some money or something.
0: Exactly. Well, when we're on the Hucksters, the new ABC sitcom, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) So it was you and Fisher and Gina Gershon and Nancy Travis and... Who were the early? Really, really. The first crew
1: was Tim Ransom, Bruce McVitie, Jace Alexander, Fisher, me, Lisa Miller. um, Helen Slater, Mm -hmm. I think, was there at the get-go. And then it kind of quickly expanded to include Gina and... Um, Marissa
0: Tomei. And
1: Marissa got in there and eventually Matthew and Sarah showed up and Toby and Pippin. And
0: uh, and writers uh, and directors like Joe Mantello and Robbie Bates and Warren, Warren Light. Light and Kenny Lonergan. And it's kind of an amazing who's who of creative people in our generation who continued, many of whom continue to kind of go on to become the names that I just mentioned that listeners know who they are.
1: Sure. And, and – uh, it was such a touchstone for me for a lot of us but for me it was a place where for many years i did a lot of plays you know some terrible some great but that sense of kind of an artistic home was huge i don't necessarily think about it but i know i must draw on that i mean you know one of the, my daughters now going into show business she's 16 and and I keep saying you've got to find a place where you can just work for the sake of the work not for getting the paycheck or the accolades or the next gig or the whatever but just a place where you Fall in love with the work for its own sake, and Naked Angels gave me and us that. So, I just feel so lucky to have had. I know, had that. and
0: and community, right? And A community. community that continues to be our chosen family Absolutely. all these years later. I mean, I feel, I feel. Week after week of this podcast and all roads lead to Naked naked Angels in the space on on West 17th Street and sort of that artistic home. And, you know, now it's hard because so much of the way younger people, I think, create their own work, which they can do and we could not at the time, was by filming stuff and putting it up on YouTube. But – to do that, you don't need to always have a group of people that meet every week in, in a space You're right. that becomes an artistic home away from home. You're right. It's um, it's so instantaneous and fast. And knowing that for you, it was born out of this um, unbelievable need to tell stories and be creative and let something out that didn't have any other outlet in your life. When you now have a child who grew up under such different circumstances with cool. so much access, what is that like for you and how do
1: you shepherd it if you do? Well, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're right, because to this day, when I walk on a soundstage or into a Broadway theater, there's this little voice in me going, wow, cool. I'm, every day, no matter day after day after day, if I'm going in, um, I still, some there's some little echo of that and awe this feeling awe, of awe absolutely and uh, she grew up visiting film sets and going backstage and i mean i yeah. can't tell you how many scenes i've shot like this with two people at a table with her sitting down there below the cameras just watching or sitting on the camera um i exposed her to the business early because i th- it was all i had so and i and i love the business and i wanted her to see the see what it entailed i wasn't necessarily pushing her toward acting i mean i i wasn't pushing her toward acting but she is similar to me and she was and she was intrigued right away so by seven or she was saying she was going to be an actor and and uh, by eight and nine she was asking us to let her go on auditions and we were like no 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 you're not going to do that we're not going to let you do that how you know? come Because I knew the downside, you know, I was like, if you go into the Disney world, which theoretically she's cute enough, she's certainly talented enough at this point, you know, she could have possibly found her way into that world with our connections. It's tough to emerge from that, even if you're successful or if you're a failure and I, I just thought if she's going to do this for her life, I didn't need her to do it. But if she wanted to, then she should do it the right way. So I said to her around, she started driving Devin crazy, you know, just please, please tell daddy, let, him, let me audition, let me, because, you know, out there, everyone's other kid is an actor. So sure. I said to her, I think it was around 12. I said, look, I'm not going to let you be a Disney kid. It's just not happening. But if you want to be an artist, I will help you on that path. So I got her involved in a, a, a professional acting school Meisner, that teaches Meisner, which I studied. And uh, she took to it. And she's been in there for years. And we said, when you're 18, you know, you can go act. And and then she, she never let go. She got more. So at a certain point, I said, OK, when you're 16, we'll let you. And then a couple of years ago, I was out with uh, our friends Michael Nozick and Sherry Rogers. And uh, they have a beautiful girl, a daughter named Remy, who I've... Basically, known since she was born, and uh, now she's 26 or something. And she was the same deal, but 10 years ahead of two. She wanted to act, and they were like, "No, no, no." And then she went to NYU, and then she got her degree, and now she's she's getting little bits of work, but she's waiting tables. She's doing the acting thing in LA. And Sherry said to me, "You know, I wish I let her. I wish I had let her." And as soon as I heard that, I was like, just the light bulb went off, and I was like, "You know what? Why am I being doctrinaire?" What do I know at this point? Like, this is a kid who wants to do this, who gets it. Now I've I've seen her and she's got the goods and spades because she it's she's been around it. Plus she's you know she's our kid and so she's she can do it. And so I said, okay, let's do it. And she got a job. She got a manager. You know, she's in. You know, she's 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 doing the thing.
0: One of the things I remember early on about you and. I guess I'd forgotten that you had only gone to college for a minute, which is why it would make sense to me that you'd want your child we all want our children to kind of do the things that we wish or think we wish we had done. I remember you studying lists
1: of words. Right. Oh, that's funny. I tell her about that. Yeah.
0: yeah that that you were sort of a self educated person totally, and totally. that you were you did your own adult education. adult education, right?
1: Yeah, it's called an autodidact. Yeah. And uh, Which you know, makes you people pretentious, which is why I'm pretentious. <laughs> well, I think you like to throw in a lot of big words. That's why I'm pretentious. <laughs> exactly.
0: And you can spell pretentious. Do you remember that?
1: Absolutely. I did it for years. Um, this was pre acts on our phone. actually given me incredible knowledge of language. And uh, the cool thing about... This business was that shortly after I entered it, thinking I was getting away from education, thinking I was because at that point I was still poop. I didn't even want education. Right, you're like
0: I'm a bad student, so I, I can't did, do no, school. Or, yeah, I No,
1: it wasn't even. I don't even know if I would have admitted I was a bad student. I would have admitted, well, who needs any of this? What Uh what is good? You know, I didn't see the value in education, believe it or not, like an idiot. But shortly there, as I was in show business, every play you did required you to learn something, if it was historical or something, philosophy, whatever it was. And so all of these worlds started to open up for me. And, uh, you know, I I did. I became self-educated and spent my 20s basically educating myself.
0: And that was a big dictionary to lug around. It wasn't like a little thing on your smartphone. No, but
1: eventually we got they—they they had digital ones, and it was—I was so happy because I would have this little thing in my. It was great. It's
0: awesome. Well, I remember something happening, which was a huge thing at the time. You know, slowly when we when we talk about this theater company with all these people that now everyone knows who they are. I mean, I remember Gina Gershon and I were in a play, and she had to come into Naked Angels and tell everyone. I'm dropping out of the play because I got a Steven Seagal movie, right? right? Like I remember these moments where, where and we were like, "That's amazing," right? But then this thing happened where you got on the show called Northern Exposure, and it was, you know, I mean, you could have kind of made matches and like open them up with your face, and sure, I mean, I about it. it was a really huge thing, and it made you really well known. Pretty quickly, so much so that you became someone who hosted Saturday Night Live. I mean, that was I was there, and I remember Nirvana with the music. I was like, a little band called Nirvana, and just standing there. I ran into
1: Dave Grohl recently. I hadn't seen him since that, and it was so sweet. You're like, Dave. (laughs) He gave me a big hug. (laughs) (laughs) Because (laughs) it's huge. Because it's huge. It was
0: huge. Um, I would love to kind of talk about that and what that was for you. And did you audition for Northern Exposure? Oh, yeah. Multiple
1: times. I auditioned here in New York originally. I had been at it a long time. I hadn't had jerseys, so I had a little I, at that point I was getting momentum in New York. Um all the casting not all the casting, a lot of casting people were in my corner. I had done a, you know, a, a, a number of plays that got enough attention that William Morris picked me up and so I was kind of on the on the the lists and um but I had also had this breakthrough with my acting a few years before, which came from reading a book, believe it or not, called "On Acting" by Sanford Meisner. Can you talk about it, it? Just, I had been studying for years, making headway a little bit, not you know, not quite understanding the elusiveness of the technique. And that book clearly showed me how to take all of me, whatever I'd been through in life, and inject it into these characters. And the, the level of my work just changed instantly. And so um, I was just getting a lot of good energy from the business and a lot of TV stuff. And uh, so it was just pilot season probably. And I remember going uh, into the room and um, at that point I had figured out that memorizing it was key, like memorizing it beyond cold, not just like kind of – Like ready to shoot. Yeah. And and it kept me in good stead to this day, um, and a lot of people I think in that room didn't. I think you know in the that were auditioning weren't necessarily doing that. And uh, uh, because of who I am and and the way the character was written, it just was a nice marriage. And so I went into the room, and uh, Josh and John, who created the show, were in there. And uh, I can't remember if I had a call before that or I just I think I probably came in to read write for them. I had enough. Um, you went
0: right to producers. I think so. Yeah.
1: And uh, and it went well. And they called to say they wanted to fly me out to do a test for the network. So we made a deal, you know, as they do. These, You know, there's a terrible thing that when you have to get to a final calls for a part, they make you make your deal for seven years, you know, or you can't audition. So you make a shitty deal. And... Uh, they flew me out, you know, so it's like first class plane, hotel, all this stuff that was totally new to me. Um, I might've had it happen once or twice before, but it was still really cool. And, um, I went there and they made me go to universal and audition for the executives there. And that went well. And they said, they wanted me to go like, I guess the next day into the network. I went to the network and it was in the basement at CBS. Um, Television city, and in this terrible room with no, uh, no windowless windows, dark, yeah, just weird, and all these executives and chairs, you know, offering nothing. It's just amazing how they audition. To this day, I mean, it's just unbelievable how how uh, they don't go out of their way. I, when I'm auditioning actors, I always get up and welcome them. Most they don't even say hi. It's like bizarre, yeah. But it ended up being me and a guy and a lot of girls. The, for the Janine part, the Maggie part. So I thought, oh, this is looking good. And then... Were they of,
0: matching you guys up Yeah, to they read?
1: kept us bringing us in and out in pairs. Then all of a sudden the guy was gone and it was just me and like four girls, which is perfect. I, mean, I think they should have written the show that way. <laughs> but, Why was there only one Maggie? She yeah. should be a
0: triplet. <laughs>
1: I'm sure I proposed it. And, uh, and then they whittled it down to me and Janine. And, that day, uh, while yeah, you were there. Right there. And... There was no one left except Janine and I, so I knew it was. I didn't know we got it, but it sure looked good. And we left, and we got in the elevator to go back up to street level together. And I uh,
0: from the sewer where you had just from auditioned. The
1: basement. Less was no less. Moonbase wasn't there then. It was uh, Je- Jeff Sagansky, I guess. Um, and uh, I said to her in the elevator, "You know, it's you and me." She kind of blew me off because she thought I was hitting on her, right? And I get back to my hotel, which was the Mondrian on Sunset, and uh, I got the call, and they said, you got it. And I just got on the bed and jumped up and down for like 10 minutes screaming, I'm out of debt, I'm out of debt, because I was 40 grand in debt at that point So even if it
0: had just been a pilot?
1: Well, it wasn't just a pilot, it was eight shows.
0: Oh, you knew, it was already, that's incredible. You were out of debt. I was out
1: of debt like that. Soon to
0: be in debt, spending the eight episode money, right.
1: No, I was really circumspect for a little while, Yeah, not not long, but sure, for a while I didn't spend anything because I was so... I couldn't believe it. It just was like, you know, it was 10 years worth of debt, basically. Close to 10 years. Wiped out in a second.
0: That's why people do it. That's why people throw their hat in the ring. Because it's kind of an amazing lottery ticket when it happens. So you shot in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And it was Janine. It was Janine. And and John Corbett. And and all of these these incredible sweethearts. sweethearts. So how quickly did it become a show that everyone still talks about?
1: I think it... Was pretty quick. I mean, there was no. It was, was. It was one of the first times they did a summer series. They'd never done summer series, and and because they were doing the summer series, they they bought eight as opposed to a pilot because they just mm. had to fill a slot or something in the summer. And uh, no one had any expectations that it would go beyond that. No one, from the network's point of view, was believing in it or thought much of it. And uh, I think shortly into the run of the eight episodes, it it caught. Uh, some kind of momentum and they ordered another eight and then it was just then it became a you know it was a top ten show and then top 20 show for for five years.
0: What was it like being on that set and being on that show?
1: well it was a dream for me it became school in a way it became film school to me I learned how to direct there not that I directed on the show but I I studied directing there I got it in my contract to get a copy of the dailies so I'd watch dailies every day. And I, I can – if every once in a while I'll catch an episode somewhere and if, if I look at an episode from the first season or the fifth season, it's like two different actors because I came out of the theater and my first year everything was, yes, and, you know, loud and, 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 and a little – I want to go back to New York. Exactly. <laughs> with, an, with an English accent. And uh, – by the by, the fifth season, I was like, "Well, I don't know. I want to go back to New York." You know, everything yeah. was internal. And Rob, we can't hear you. <laughs> exactly, and uh, and which which I still get, but but now I don't care. But my uh, character mumbles. Yes, but but uh, it was it was an amazing experience, and then, uh, you know, the writing was so interesting, so a challenge. It was hard as hell because in the first season or so, I was pretty much in every scene, and. And we were shooting it was very low budget at the time and we we're shooting six day weeks that first eight and I was in every scene and every scene was like it would be these giant monologues with me spewing medical jargon and then someone going oh really and then me spewing another you know and so it was I used to go home and sit with my medical encyclopedias and you know basically cry for like five minutes and then Memorize the next day's work, um, so it was hard.
0: Were you friends with people on the show?
1: Oh yeah, I instantly fell in with Corbett and Darren and uh, and Barry Corbin and uh, and Cynthia and you know Janine. We all became we. Were, you know how you bond when you're, especially when something's new before. And you're on
0: location. Yeah. There's also that thing when you're all away from home,
1: which I think was actually a miracle because I think if I were in L.A., New York, with that success, I would have gotten in. Again, got my Fair amount of trouble, but not to the degree that I what would. What do you
0: have mean, fair amount of trouble? Trouble,
1: just partying, running around, you know, just divers, you know, fun stuff. But d- that ultimately can take a toll if you do it too much. And there's only so much you can do in Seattle. So I, I think it, and also being out of the business, you know, like when you're, when you're hot and you in, in on, on a on a success of a show or so, or a movie or something, and you're in New York or L.A., you're the king of the world. I mean, everywhere you go, everything you want, and so. I would get that in doses, which was probably better than getting too mm-hmm. much of it.
0: Also, I think about friends of mine who have become really well-known in the last 10 years versus people who came on the scene when you first started and just how protected, how quaint it was when you think about it without right. cameras in your face all the time it's and over. the internet and and how much things have shifted. Yeah,
1: it's a whole different... You
0: memory. had a private life for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so different now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're it's a different animal for sure.
0: I'm sure you get recognized all the time. You've done, I mean, television especially is just we all think like, did I go to high school with you or <laughs> you right? Like it's like you I need to tell. I love the people that
1: that'll they'll be like staring at me from across a bar or in a lobby or something. And I used to be kind of a little coy with it because you know whatever. And uh, but now I pretty much say, hey, how you doing? I acknowledge them and I'll you know they'll say. I'll, I'll I'll invite them to 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 try to talk to me and and they'll they'll say like where are I? I know I know you and I'll be like, well and again I used to kind of just play coy but now I say well I'm an actor maybe you've seen me in something and and oftentimes people say no no <laughs> they make and you I'll name be like okay well uh, i don't i never have been to cleveland so uh i don't think we went to high school no uh, camp right yeah, No? no went to camp i know and, yeah. you list
0: your whole resume and finally it's you're actually mortified right. like actually they <laughs> exactly. really They really did go to high school with you.
1: (laughs) Right. Or the worst question is, what have you done? Well, then what have you done? I was like, I don't know. What, 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 you know, it's such a difficult question, but.
0: Yeah. uh, What have you done?
1: Right. That
0: is the question. Yes, a lot. Well, you've done a lot. And I remember there was kind of a a moment where you wanted to get off the show. Is that right? What happened?
1: Yeah, let's see. I remember
0: some headlines, but I'm too old to remember what actually happened.
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, I did it for five years. So I did 105 um, episodes, and I was bored. You know, I was tired. I was done. I didn't. There was. No, I didn't feel like there was much more I could do. I was so idealistic still at the time that I was like, "Well, I've done it. what? There's nothing more to do here. What more? Right. You know, they've made their money. Everyone's rich from it. You know, what? What? Uh, why should I be on this show?" And then at the time, I had uh, done the movie Quiz Show. And Redford became a friend, and uh, I asked him uh, if I should leave the show, and he was like, "Yeah, it's time." And as soon as he, my hero, Robert Redford, said I should leave the show, I was out of there. Yeah. (laughs) So I went to them. It's his fault. (laughs) I mean, he definitely gave me license. I mean, he kind of implied that it was the thing to do, was the right. It's Hubble. Hubble is telling you
0: what to do. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And (laughs) Hubble speaks.
0: And he gently, like, you gently moved his bang across his forehead exactly. and you are like, thank you.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So you call your agent and you're like, I want to get off the show. And is there a Northern Exposure without Dr. Joel Fleischman?
1: Yeah. There were two rounds of uh, press things. One was a year or two earlier where now we were in the third year. And as I said before, I made a crummy deal because I have to make a seven-year deal. And uh, so now it's time to to renegotiate, as they say. And they were hardballing us uh, about a raise. And I was being paid well below industry standard for a starring top 10 TV show. So we hardballed them and and, uh, they put out some press uh, that was erroneous uh, that I was threatening to leave the show, which I wasn't. I mean, we were – just trying to make – we were negotiating. Something proper. Yeah, and we did, and they gave us something. It wasn't great, but it was a step in the right direction. And did
0: you guys do that thing where the whole show went in together, or no. it was just you?
1: No, it was just uh, me because it was different. Uh, you know, he was kind of an – he was the the kind of the – Above
0: the uh, title. Eyes
1: of the show. Yeah. So people conflate those two events. So then when we, we went to the studio – and started saying I wanted to leave the show and they started to talk about it and then I had to go to the network um, and I sat down with Jeff Skansky who was running the network at the time and said I really wanna leave and you know I feel like I, I gotta move on and it was all very um, congenial um, and they asked me to stay on, I can't remember what, it was something like three or four episodes into the next season or something so they could feather me out And um, and it wasn't, Uh, it wasn't a big uh, thing, but it it somehow got conflated into, I was making demands and and then left.
0: Which which was not true. Didn't happen. But because of that, because of that conflated information coming out and being spun a certain way, because everyone loves it, who who wants a story where he's a nice guy? Right, exactly. um, How did that impact what you did next or your reputation or did it? I don't know. You know, I
1: think it, I think it, you know, it definitely uh, factored in, but it, it, to people's uh, opinions of me. But I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it really hurt me in any way. Really, um, I moved on to 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 a lot of other things, and um, and I think it was the right decision. You know, I am not sure if I would have done it the same way, knowing what I know now. You know, I mean, George Clooney did it right. I would do what George did. He was so smart that. So how did he?
0: You're talking about when he left ER. Yeah. So how did he do it differently?
1: I think he just it just became he segued out in a smoother way. He never asked to leave. It was just kind of like it was done or something. I think he had done this movie, The Peacekeeper, with Spielberg, and um, he was on the movie Star Trek. Um, but it was much more. It didn't. It didn't blow up the way it did for me. It somehow got blown up like, you know that I was. You know, walked off the show or something. Right. which just never happened. But somehow he he did it right. So
0: there was no diva attached to his name in the way that that maybe. I think yeah. You I had. think there was
1: a little bit of diva attached to my name. Um,
0: Do you think you are a little bit of a diva? I don't think so. And what so? does that even I mean, mean? Now,
1: now I'm the most you know I'm the easiest guy in the world to get along with. But I might have gotten a little bit of bad rap on Northern Exposure because not of that stuff, but because I was such a um, I was so determined. To make it authentic and 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 make it good and real. And um, I was very idealistic and I challenged a lot of the conventions of, uh, of television, uh, you know, not not because I knew better, but because I was I didn't know better, you know. And uh, I think I gave directors a hard time. and and the great lesson I had was when I finally directed, which now I do a lot, the first thing I directed, Was this short film and uh, I had storyboarded it. I knew everything I wanted to do and I walked on the set and I said to the actor, okay, you're going to come in here and you're going to sit down. And he was like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, you know, because I was in the other thing in the room and I was like, oh. So everyone I'd ever said no to like flashed Uh before my eyes. And pretty much since that day, uh, I'll do anything a director asked. You know, I'm I'm very easy to work with because I understand what it's about and uh,
0: and that they've been thinking about this holistically right and you're coming into it from both legitimate
1: ways to approach the thing though absolutely and and also there's a time and a place and uh, on a television set is not the time to start well there is no time right where right. there might be you know there is like when I'm doing a show
0: you don't feel uh, rushed
1: now. No, I feel rushed, but um, but but I'll talk. To, I'll get the script on Wednesday, and I'll call them. You know, Wednesday night, and say, "Look, this doesn't work. This doesn't work." the here. "Can we do this? Can we try this?" Not. I'm not waiting till Monday at seven a.m. to say, "What are we going to do?" This doesn't work, which is a real nightmare when, when actors show up and do that because you're like, literally every second is 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 uh, precious. Um, so, um, it taught me for sure uh, about about understanding the realities of the, of the business.
0: So you started in the theater and you've kind of gone off on a grand adventure where cameras are involved, which by the way, you've always loved to shoot behind the scenes stuff too. Like totally. when I think about your, um, your creativity, you've always been doing the thing and then filming a thing about the thing. Which and is why of- social
1: media is a great thing for me because I've, I've made it for whatever reason, I made it this thing where I have to put up something six days a week, one thing a day. What is the compulsion? I have a healthy dose of OCD, which allows me to obsess over details endlessly. So it's great for being a musician. It's great for being an actor. You know, I can do a 100 takes and, you know, still be... Jazzed. Yeah, still be finding stuff. Um, Uh... I can listen to the same th- song a thousand times, you know, and still be digging it. So I think that works in my favor. Um,
0: so when people come up to you now, still knowing you from Northern Exposure, does that make you happy, or oh, do yeah. you? Yeah, so you don't feel like, my God, man, I've done seventy-two other things Not since then.
1: I mean, I did back then. You know, I, you know, and I think if if you want to look at career mistakes, I'm I turned down so much, so many gigs. That were – would have been good career moves but were not – We're the same character, you know. And I just – I came from this time and I'm not sure I would do it the same now or I, I would recommend people to do the same thing. I Every job had to be radically different from the last one. Mm-hmm. That was my idea. You know, that's what Dustin did. That's what Al did. That's what Bobby De Niro did, you know. And so I was chasing that and uh, I think it kind of hurt me a little bit because there's something about – the way the business has moved that, you know, if you can find something you do, you know, most movie stars do their thing.
0: Yes. Could you continue to make series money doing versions of Dr. Joel Fleshman? Right. Yes. Right. I, I would imagine that, you know, when you said getting rich, all of you made, it, it was the 90s right. at the height of... Uh, TV money, Right. you could have basically done plays after that for the rest of your life and lived
1: but that's simply. But here's the big news, I'm, I'm dying to do a play. I'm dying to do a musical. I cannot get arrested. I cannot. And I'm like, I don't understand. My whole life they were like, go do a TV series and then, and then you can come, come back and do Broadway for the rest of your life. I mm. can't even get an audition. I don't even know what it is. And I'm like, I've given up on it. I basically just say whatever. I, I mean- I should be doing musicals. I should be on Broadway doing plays. I should be off-road doing plays. I just don't even know what to say about it anymore.
0: Well, I think it's really good that you came on the show because everything's going to change now. Good, this is This is a, a podcast that is beloved by people who make theater and love theater and create theater.
1: I, I don't even know if l- you're I'm slightly exaggerating.
0: Play. Is this really true? This is
1: really true. I mean, it's literally, you know, part of it has to do with I live in L.A. But even in L.A., I can't get, I can't get on the taper. I can't get at the Geffen. I've gone to meetings. I've gone to general. I've done everything, and I've basically given up. And uh, so if something comes my way, I'm I'll certainly, you know, l- I'm doing a, a little one act that Kevin Bacon wrote um, in a couple weeks. Thank God. Um, right now. I know. Mean, it's like <laughs> – like- and, and it wasn't even from Kevin. Someone else had brought it to me.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Well, do you have any stories from when you used to audition so that, that have scarred you forever and are a little bit funny now? Well, this one
1: scarred me I, I thought because you told me to come up with a couple. Mm-hmm. So I thought about a few. And this one scarred me in a good way. There was a period of time, and, and around the same time, around 81, when Ecstasy first came on the scene. We would do it like once a week for six weeks. Just six weeks. That was the end of it. And I've probably done it maybe once or twice since then. But but one time it was a Saturday. It was a ritual for those six weeks. And it was a Saturday. And it just happened to be that nobody was around except me. So I was like, well, I can't break the ritual. No. So I, I had an audition for a, a, an avant-garde theater company. And I popped the ecstasy. And I take a, you know, it, you have the starburst blast off with ecstasy. I have no pick. idea. It's amazing. Okay. You have this heightened awareness of everything. You are at, all of your faculties are completely available. You are omnipotent. And I start walking to my audition. I, we lived in Hell's Kitchen in this terrible little apartment. And uh, my audition was the opposite side, the east side of town. And I walked across town and I came upon this, group of homeless people in an alley and i stopped and i talked to them and i convinced them that they could get their lives together and i was like coaching them you know i was like you can do it you just have to focus and they were like yeah you know they all believed it by the time i left and i go to the audition and they finally get my turn in the room and they want me avant-garde theater company they want me to be a caterpillar evolving into a butterfly and i was like no problem so i get in the corner of the room and I must have taken fifteen minutes to do the evolution. So by the time I got to the other side I was a butterfly. <laughs> and they were like they couldn't believe it. They were like they had found the next Brando. They couldn't believe how made, and I was like, Well, thank you. And they were like, You have to come back and you have to read and so of course I came back to read and I wasn't on ecstasy and it was they just looked they couldn't figure out what had happened to the guy they had. They were seen so and, sad. Yeah. I, it's I don't good know to be young, people and can make drink these mistakes. And act. No. They can. No, but there's no kidding? reason for it. No, no I know, know that they people, can. Richard Burton, those guys literally call it acting juice. Mm-hmm. They they lived off the stuff. And they can, I couldn't. I can't do it. Um, you're an acting Jew. I'm an acting Jew. It's a
0: totally different thing. Yes. Listen, everyone gets through life the way they get through it. Right. Everyone's creativity gets expressed in different ways. The thing that bothers me about that is when you're working on good writing, someone has taken a very long time to create what you're about to say. And for me, it's all about mutual respect. So unless there's an agreement, we're going to do this movie and everyone's going to take E or we're going to do this movie and everyone's going to, you know, this is part of the experiment or this is part of what I want for this experience. I think it's like I think it's fair to come in. And be your most coherent, best self. And when I think of you, in all honesty, these drug-induced stories aside. There's one more. (laughs) Is is, um, I really think of someone who just has the utmost respect for the craft, the written word, and the ritual
1: yeah,
0: of of putting something together and making it as good as it possibly can be. And I think one of the very first things I did at Naked Angels was for some one of our shorts, evenings of kind of political shorts, issues projects. Issues. And you were directing me in it, I think. And I just remember early on, Wanting to do really well for you, that you had put so much time and effort and thought into this 10-minute piece. Right. And I thought, okay, we're coming to work hard and to do our best right. and to take it really seriously. Right. And from that moment on, I just had the utmost respect for you and your work Thanks ethic and to watch you evolve Artistically, and also, it's no small thing to keep a marriage going yeah, in any business, absolutely. but in this particular business, and you're married to an angel. Yeah, for you to also put as much time and energy as you can into Project ALS and other organizations that are really important to you. You're yeah. one of the first people I knew who was famous and put a face to. A not-for-profit that you believed in—you've sure. been a real teacher for me, oh, and it's so you. great so to sweet. see you. And thank you for coming in. I'm really thrilled well, to be you here. I love that you're
1: doing this, and I love seeing every day when when I, when you come across my feed. What yeah, you're up to and and uh, I think it's very important to create things for yourself, for ourselves, and and not necessarily oh, it's going to make me rich or famous, but because of the the love of the act of of creation. Um, I, I try to create every day, and I see you do the same thing, and I think uh, I think it's the key to happiness. Yes,
0: and I think when I was growing up, eventually James Lipton and the actor's studio thing came, but I thought I would have loved to have known the real story. Right. Not like the picture-perfect tabloid version right. of an artist's life, but yeah. like, really, how did you do it? Yeah. And really, where did that confidence come from and really where how do you keep passion alive yeah so i hope that these stories and and shared narratives of an artistic life of which you are just in the middle yeah um makes people happy because it makes me so happy to have these conversations so anyway thank you for being here it's great to have you my pleasure (laughs) clouds can make the wind Find out more at promedia.nyc.